from where I sit today, I don't think there's anything going to sort of hold us back other than ourselves in getting to be about a billion dollars of revenue in about five years' time. The Architects of Business, with EY Entrepreneur of the Year, telling the inspirational stories behind Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs. Hello and welcome to The Architects of Business, made in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year, where you will hear the inspirational stories of some of Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Sonia Lennon, broadcasting remotely at this time, and on this week's show, I chat with Andrew Day, the CEO of Keyword Studios, an Irish computer game company who work on some of the biggest names in the world, from Fortnite to Call of Duty. He projects revenue of in excess of a billion dollars by 2025. If you haven't already done so, click subscribe to get brand new shows directly into your feed. Andrew Day, uh, CEO of Keyword Studios, thank you so much for joining us on Architects of Business today. Um, I have to say, uh, I feel like a bit of a fraud taking your time, Uh, not because I'm not fascinated by your story, but because... I'm not a gamer and I feel like uh, a million, more than a million people would rather be in this seat than me right now. Um, Your story is extraordinary. The arc of the growth of Keyword is amazing. But as always on this show, I would love to start at the beginning. So you, you were born and grew up in South Africa. Correct. Yep. 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 Fantastic childhood. Yes, barefoot gambling around the uh, around the place. I gather. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, w- when did the 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 bug of the cut and thrust of business really sink into you? Oh, it was it was way back. So yeah, definitely while I was in South Africa. So um, yeah, I think I you know my dad was in business. He ran one of South Africa's biggest um, biggest companies. So as a managing director, a salaried uh, guy. Um, and then around us, obviously, there were wealthy um, entrepreneurs. Well, not obviously, but there were wealthy entrepreneurs. Um, uh, and um, I always looked at those other guys that had nicer cars and bigger houses and stuff and thought, well, you know, the salary job of my dad is all very impressive, but um, I'm actually going to have a go at doing my own thing. And, and from a very early age, I wanted to have my own engineering shop or something like that. So that's when it began. So it's really interesting to me that you were able to divine the difference between, you know, a, a sort of an employment and an entrepreneurial position so early on, because that, it's quite nuanced, you know, and particularly when you're surrounded by nice things as a kid, for most kids, it doesn't really matter how you got them. Yeah, no, that's true, actually. And um, it, it's something that actually has it stuck with me for a long, long time because, you know, I very much wanted to um, own and run my own business. And um, eventually I wanted to uh, do an IPO float a business and run a publicly quoted company, but I, I didn't want to get from the age of five, right? Well, (laughs) not, not much, but, but, you know, um, I, you know, I, as I, as I got to understand these things, I didn't really want to do it. um, uh, Starting, from my own uh, business on day one. In fact, I was um, I had started a business uh, while at, while at university. Not not my first business, but I'd started one at university. Raised some money, got that thing going, and then very real, very quickly realised that if I didn't get out of it very soon, I'd be stuck with it. So it was always this idea that so I needed hold, to gain hold experience. Hold on there one second. 
Mm-hmm. So just sorry to cut across you, but so, so let's go back to the very beginning. What was your first business? My first business was uh, breeding birds for sale. So budgies, cockatiels, lovebirds, Indian ringnecks, uh, quails, all that sort of stuff. So I um, started with four budgies and ended up with hundreds of birds. And that was I tell you, Andrew, I was not expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that there so, you go. So, yeah, so, so that that made me some pocket money, and then I used to um, from there was buying and selling cars and doing them up and uh, swapping engines over and, and repainting them and doing all that sort of stuff. I, I love building things, so um, it doesn't matter whether it's uh, business or or you know making a shed in the garden or whatever you know I like I like I like building and making and fixing things so I think the same is true a little bit with with business you can shape a business um, and if you get it right it's hugely rewarding so if we go back then to your um to your student days what where did you immerse yourself in terms of your education uh, yeah, so it was kind of kind of odd because I ended up doing something that I didn't choose, but my employer at the time chose. So I left school and went straight to um, a company called Rothmans uh, Rothmans International Tobacco Tobacco Business, which actually took me to 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 Belfast, Carrick Fergus, um, and their factory there. Um, From South Africa. First ex- no, that's this was uh, so I left South Africa when I was fifteen, um, and so I joined uh, Rothmans when I was about eighteen, I guess. Um, so. Uh, yeah, so I found myself in 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 Belfast during the um, the less good days, um, and uh, so um, yeah, so basically they 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 sent me to university to study managerial sciences. I was basically being groomed to be a, um, a factory manager or a director of production of the future. I left Rothmans and um, joined a company called Britannia Security Group, which was a very fast-growing business services uh, group listed on what was then the USM section of the London market. Um, and uh, I was basically the bag carrier for the managing director who, who kind of mentored me and taught me everything about M&A. So we did uh, 20 acquisitions in 18 months um, together. Um, that was an incredible period of time, and the company went from 40 million market cap to 200 million market cap in, in the same period of time. So that was a kind of fortunate break and took me into um, you know the field of M&A, which I've continued to to sort of plough for quite some time. So, and we'll come back to that because M&A is, is such a pivotal piece of, of the growth of Keyword now. Yeah. Um, can I ask you about the, the, the spirit of your mentor in, in entering into M&As? Because I, I, um, I, I love the idea that, you know, that, that level of negotiation is almost a sort of a spiritual art form. You have to have a mindset that is, that is fit for purpose, I guess. What was the approach yeah, so I mean, yeah, um, I, I, you know, the, the first thing was, and something that I always carry with me is that M and A is not a buying process; it's a selling process. You need to sell um, the benefits of joining uh, the, 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 the company you're running to the to the seller, um, and it's really all about strategic fit and cultural fit, much more than it is about the numbers. You know, it's very. It's actually quite hard to pay too much for something if the strategy and the fit was correct. Um, so you know that's those are the most important things. And then 
yeah, like I say, in terms of the negotiation itself, it, um, you know, it, it took me a while to learn this, I think, but uh, <laughs> uh, essentially, you know, it's not about shafting one another. It's about um, just being um, as open as possible throughout the negotiation and uh, being clear on what, on, on, on what you can move on and what you can't move on. And um, if the other side knows that, then things tend to go fairly smoothly. It also helps. And I suppose the, 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 ultimate, the ultimate aim is to create a mutual benefit. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't think there's any point in, in buying a whole bunch of businesses and just have them continue to do exactly the same as they did before. You know, I don't think you're creating any value in doing that. But I think if you can um, bring companies into a, a, um, a supportive environment, um, encourage them to do things that they wouldn't otherwise be doing themselves, either through a little bit of management discipline or through just um, uh, relieving some of the financial pressures that companies face as sort of smaller entrepreneurial businesses, you can actually um, encourage them to grow much, much faster. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you can then sort of start to knit them together as well, you actually create something new from from the individual pieces. Um, and I think, you know, that's one of the things that Keywords has done really quite successfully. It's never perfect, but it's, um, it's, it's, it's generally, uh, you know, the right way of considering what we've done with the companies that we've acquired. It's, it's funny because re- reading the story and, and the infrastructure and a sort of uh, ecosystem that you've built, it almost seems like Keywords has created um, a hammock of support under an entire industry. So it's it's a beautiful thing to watch. But let's go back to I, I need where, to remember those uh, words. I, I'm lovely <laughs> going to reuse that. The hammock of support. That's there going to be go. reused. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that one's for free, Andrew. Thank you. Um, so, so, um, so let's go back to this period in your in your career where you've had two intensive years of of training, almost sort of a Malcolm Gladwell ten thousand hours of this is how you do it. What was next? Um, so the, uh, the well, the stock market crash of nineteen eighty seven was next, and and that put paid to the story of Britannia Security Group as it was. So I moved on and I sold my trade as an M and A guy to a company called TIP Europe, which was um, uh, actually renting um, semi trailers. You know, the big forty foot trailers that go behind mm-hmm. a, um, an articulated lorry. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so I became very very knowledgeable on trailers and. Um, took over the, uh, the the strategic planning and M&A process for, for that company, which took me into doing deals in, in Europe. Um, and then when things slowed down there as well, which it did after it got, um, you know, uh, over, over-geared, uh, again, I moved on, staying in M&A to a company called Britannia Security Group. And the important thing is here is this is the first connection with keywords. So Britannia Security Group was specialty chemicals, again, very, very different. I did the first three years of uh, M&A, this time on a global scale um, for them, but always with the intention of running a business that I um, helped them acquire or that I'd acquired for them. Um, uh, I didn't quite happen that way. The company fell on slightly sort of sticky times and I was parachuted in to fix a whole bunch of uh, businesses across the world, which um, which I did, and then went on to, to run the global aerospace business. So... Um, uh, that was kind of nine years of that. And during that time, that's when I met Giorgio Guastala, who was um, the guy that ended up founding Keywords. So how did that meet happen? Uh, so he was a, um, 
college student. He was studying business um, in Italy, in Rome, I think, and uh, through connections, um, uh, you know, we got a request saying, can we provide a, um, uh, a placement to this Italian business guy? And uh, I put up my hand and... Uh, so you know, since then, um, basically, we've we've stayed together as friends and and business colleagues for twenty five years. But he did he did Happy give up on me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, we, we did we did break open a, a glass of champagne to celebrate that point. Uh, Good. But yeah, nice, nice, yeah. So so that's where all that came. And you know, I was probably I that was one of my opportunities to do a bit of mentoring um, in reverse. So. So he, he came in under your wing yep. um, and obviously was an incredibly good student. Um, when, when did Keywords actually start? Keywords started in 1998. So I was still at uh, Britannia Security Group, Giorgio. I had, I had posted him in, in France and I think at a certain point um, that was enough for him. I think he had done sort of two years of his time in France and uh, he wanted to get out and, and do something different. So he joined his girlfriend in uh, Dublin, Ireland, and together they set up Keywords, which was basically providing translation services to tech companies, um, Microsoft uh, first and foremost, but also other companies like Oracle and so on. And then in 2009, Giorgio finally um, uh, after many years of nagging, managed to persuade me to come and um, run keywords. So in 2009, we um, we did a deal. We set a new strategy for the business. And um, I think that's really, in many ways, um, the beginnings of the, the keywords you see today. So one thing that I think really comes to the fore in talking to you, Andrew, is... Um, your dedication to strategy it, it yeah. seems to be a theme running through absolutely everything from from the early days of having a vision for what you wanted your life to be right through to seeing the opportunity and I suppose the first piece of strategy is seeing the opportunity the second and harder piece is sticking to that vision yeah. and and seeing it through so you might talk to us a little bit about your approach particularly at that time when when you came in as CEO yeah. With a massive job to do. Yeah, so it was, um, you know, uh, Keywords employed 50 people. It was it was doing nicely. It was turning over, you know, uh, two or three million, I think, and making making good profits. So it was a very nice business. But it was also um, a sort of fragile business. It, it, it felt like, it, first of all, it was very dependent on, on on one particular client, which is never a good 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 thing, I think. Um, and um, you know, it, it 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 felt like at any point somebody could decide to give business to a competitor or whatever, and the and the business would be um, in a in a bit of trouble. So rather than sit there and be fearful of that, that was one of the first decisions we took. We're not going to be afraid of this. We're not going to try and like migrate away from some clients. What we're going to do is we're going to go out and build business with other clients to compensate for that um, degree of uh, um, uh, dependency. So rather than sort of stay there and try and defend what we've got, we were very, very clear that we wanted to move forward and, and build something um, substantial from this. Um, so that was part of it. The other, the other part was just recognising, as you rightly said, the opportunity. And the opportunity kind of was, well, 
with benefit of hindsight, it was very clear to see. I don't know. I don't know if it was that clear at that time, but basically you had a very interesting um, market environment within the video games industry and in that you had very large global players, um, uh, multi-billion dollar companies like Electronic Arts and Activision and Microsoft and Nintendo and so on. And then when you looked around at companies like us that they were relying on, okay, we're very good at what we did, but we provided a pretty much a single service in a single geography. And it just seemed very, very odd. You know, if you look around any other major industry and the video games industry, I can't remember what it was sized at, at that, those days, maybe 90 billion or something. Now it's about $150 billion in size. It's a meaningful industry. It's a very large industry. Um, but continues to sort of exhibit and certainly did then even more so this 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 behavior of kind of doing everything itself and um fractured uh, yeah fractured and dealing with very um fragmented supply chains um and more or less and, and can i ask you then just uh just to be clear what was the service that you were delivering at that point at that point it was localization so we were translating um video games not the code but the, the 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 text and the voiced assets in the video games so the story if you like and the character interactions and all of that we were translating those into other languages so that a game developed in english could be consumed um with just as much uh, sort of immersion in in france or in spain or in italy or whatever um so it was a very valuable service and it obviously helped our our clients um penetrate new markets and also you know increase the return on investment on their development costs as they could sell the game to more consumers um so that was basically our our, our specialty and from there we developed a system of being able to test those games as well because one thing that people perhaps don't appreciate is pretty much all video games are released in all the languages at the same time so that means you're 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 adapting the foreign versions at the same time as the English version is still being developed and so on. And so the only way to make sure you've got it all right is to be able to put it all together um, uh, as a sort of package of code and 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 text and stuff, and then test it in in kind of live operation. So we 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 developed an efficient system of doing that. And position keyword now for what it is, for who its clients are, for what it does and what it operates. And I think when we could talk about this hammock of support, this is where it really um, kind of gets surfaced, if you like. Yes, I was just about to use that. I was just coming up with a new <laughs> elevator pitch involving hammocks. <laughs> Yeah, so 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 where we are today, um, Sonia, is we 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 really provide services throughout the life cycle of video games. So from um, creating them, um, co-developing them, um, uh, adapting them, testing them, supporting them in live operations, we, we we do everything. And we've recently been extending our reach into marketing services, um, specifically for 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 video games as well. So. So to, to give a sense of how much money is at stake here, uh, give us a little roll call of, of the games that you are involved with. Oh, okay. Um, uh, that could take a while. Um, but pretty much it's... <laughs> top pretty five. Much, well, yeah, okay. Um, I'll get into trouble if I name top five, but I'll just give you some names. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> Call of Duty, Fortnite, League of Legends, um, Candy Crush, um, Clash of Clans, 
um, so, so let's payload. be clear, you're not, you are not providing that service with 50 people based in Dublin. We, we have eight and a half thousand people around the world providing these services. And, and it, it, it breaks down roughly about a third of our workforce is in Asia. We have strong presence in, in, in Tokyo, um, five cities in China, India, the Philippines. Um, then we come over to to, to Europe, um, big presence in St. Petersburg, um, in Poland, um, across sort of Western Europe into, into Dublin where we have, um, you know, our head office and 300 and something people. And then over to um, the Americas, uh, big, big presence in Canada, particularly Montreal, but also on the West Coast in Vancouver. Um, and then into the U.S. as well, where we have operations um, in, in in Florida, in uh, Seattle, Los Angeles, and so on. So, um, and recently so Austin, si- Texas. So, sixty-one studios worldwide and eight and a half thousand staff. Um, that's a very different company uh, yeah. to fifty people based in Dublin. Uh, what impact has that had on the work that you do? Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a good question. I mean, in the early days, I was um, CEO and chief bottle washer. You know, really, really doing um, everything. So uh, um, a lot of the the business development, the sales, um, uh, um, and strategy and finance and everything else. Um, and obviously, as the companies got bigger and bigger, one of the you know. I think the things that we've been very successful at doing, and um, it's obviously very important, is that we're able to grow a management team that's able to take on more and more of these um, tasks. It's 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 not something by any means that one guy or or, or, or lady can do. So um, uh, it's it's been a very sort of um, important transition for myself in my role, um, which. I, you know, I like to say has has come reasonably easily because I'm very happy to um, to you know to to give uh, responsibility for big parts of the business to to others. Um, but it's often one of those things that sort of holds back companies, right? It's, it's this feeling that you have to kind of control everything. Um, and so I think think for me that's the that's the the, the 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 biggest thing is I've never really tried to control. Um, uh, you know the detail and so you know your the way that that keywords has has worked with this global spread of executive team must have necessitated remote working before it became the norm indeed yeah so 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 we've been working remotely um really for, for, for forever certainly when Skype first became a thing, um, we we spent all our time um, talking to each other on Skype. The bit that's changed really is the guys at the coal face. You know, the guys that are doing the testing, um, that are that are that are writing the code for the games, that are producing the art assets for the games. Um, those folks have always been working in studios, um, secure studios, and they're now working from home. So. In a way, it's the environment is different. The way in which they work is actually quite similar because everybody is mm-hmm. allocated to a project. The project has a team structure around it. So although you're working from home, you are um, part of an um, active project with tasks and deadlines and everything else. So, you know, the business continues to drive itself pretty well. And, of course, through being a service provider rather than, a um, you know, an, a, an end client, 
we have the disciplines of, of, of measuring things like uh, time spent on tasks and productivity and all the rest of it. So we're very fortunate in that. And, and so we've been able to keep um, productivity really, really pretty, pretty, pretty good during these difficult times. So can we can we sort of move out of the trenches a little bit and and, and get a high level view of of the growth of keywords because I, I I think there's a beautiful poetry to the sort of natural organic strategic growth of the company combined with the MA strategy it's yeah. it's it's sort of a twin track um, so so maybe talk to me a, a little bit about listing um, and the difference that that made and I think the real sort of clincher is um, the figures for growth, um, the projections that you're looking at, your relationship with the stock market. So if you could yeah. give me a little bit about that. Sonia, I like the way you describe it. I, I, this is the way that we um, see our business very much is that our main focus is organic growth. You know, in an industry that itself is growing and that has this um, trend towards using um, outsourced services rather than doing everything itself, you know, we we're in an industry that's that, that, that's transitioning, um, but it's still a very young industry. It just happens to be very large. So, um, we have a lot of uh, growth drivers, sort of naturally, by being in in this industry and pursuing the strategy with we're, we're we're pursuing. So we expect ourselves to produce really good, strong organic growth year on year. And I think we we always try to sort of set expectations that the minimum we expect of ourselves is about 10% uh, organic growth a year, but we usually um, outperform that. Um, and then on top of that, you know, you have this um, acquisition effect. So as we're building out our various services um, through acquisitions, what we're really doing is we're bringing in customer relationships, which we're then able to expand upon. We're bringing in expertise, um, which we're then also able to, to, to leverage. And we're also um, getting access to pools of talents. And so a couple of quick fire ones. Give us a sense of the, the latest acquisitions. Yes. Um, so uh, we, 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 we've made a couple um, recently, um, both, both different. Uh, both happen to be based in, in the UK, but that's... Um, that's uh, not a reflection of anything in particular. Um, uh, the, the latest one is a company called Maverick Media, um, which is a, um, a long-standing marketing services business, very specifically focused on the video games industry. And this focus on the games industry is something that we keep coming back to because there is something different about the games industry. It's not mm -hmm. like any other industry. And the, the, the content itself is very, very complex, being this interface with you know the most amazing creative with incredibly complicated software and AI and, and, and what have you. So th 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 there's some very specific reasons why you have specific suppliers to this industry. So Maverick is one of those companies. It's been around for quite a while. It has some um, fantastic relationships with um, some, some great uh, um, game companies and game IPs, including probably the one that's most known for, which is Pokemon. Um, and Never that's... heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that, uh, yeah, and that in itself is, um, uh, um, yeah, I think now our fifth acquisition or fifth or sixth acquisition in marketing services. And again, it's sort of, you can see what we're doing here is we're building scale um, in a new area. 
Um, all of those companies are growing nicely organically. Um, so we'll, we'll add a few more of those um, before we get to a point where we say, actually, you know, we've got to this point of being the go-to provider and we'll see this accelerated um, organic growth. So that's that one. The other one was a company called Coconut Blizzard. Um, great thing about this games industry is the names of the studios that you end up buying. Anything I mean, goes. Who would have thought I would be buying a company called Coconut Lizard? But uh, um, so so these guys are these these guys are great. They're, they're based up in the northeast. Um, there's a team of a bit over 20, 25 um, folks, very specialized, very very deep in um, a particular technology for for building games called the Unreal Engine, which is um, gaining or has gained a lot of traction. In the industry, it's a, a game engine on which many people now build their games. And I suppose to go ultimate bird's eye view on the company, the latest revenue figures. Yeah, so um, uh, I believe that the stock market is expecting us to generate something like 350, 360 million uh, euros uh, of, of revenue this year. Um and um, you know, obviously, uh, that that's in a bit of a challenged year with with, with COVID nineteen. But um, uh, and the and funner then, piece is nearly the projections into the future, right? Yeah, well, you know, who who, who knows? But um, certainly, from from where I sit today, I don't think there's anything going to sort of hold us back, other than ourselves, in getting to be about a billion dollars of revenue in about five years' time. Um, uh, we we we. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think we're we're quite close on a run rate basis, or we will be exiting this year of being uh, at around five hundred million dollars. I hope. Um, so from there, that sounds like another bottle dollars. of champagne to me, Andrew. Yes, I have it to would say. Be. It would be. <laughs> and you know, you know, one of one of one of the things, you know, it's a, it's a silly thing, really, because um, uh, share prices and business performance and everything don't always sort of correlate. But one of the things that we well, it just it just sort of acts as a little um, uh, pat on the back for for for, for all these great keywordians around the world um, is that we recently um, broke through the two billion dollar market cap um, uh, value as well um, uh, on the stock exchange. So I think we're now at about two point two billion, um, which is incredible when you think that we IPO'd at a valuation of about. Uh, well, it was about fifty million pounds at the time. I don't know what that was in US dollars. Probably that's extraordinary. Seventy-five million or something. So yeah, it's, it's been it's been a, it's been one one interesting ride so far. And fortunately, and all suppose, in the right direction. Yeah, and 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 which which is you know all the more reason um, to to hail you as one of the alumni of um, EY Entrepreneur of the Year. What has that been like for you being part of that network? Because, um, you know, every time I interview somebody who's part of this group, this elite group, there are um, extreme commonalities. And um, one of them being um, a really authentic humility and um, a sense of graft. I think that comes through very strongly on you. Where have you found the value in that network? Yeah, well, well, for me, I personally, I, I really enjoyed the process of going through um, uh, the EOY of the year, um, uh, including 
um, going to Hong Kong and and seeing some really interesting businesses and having an opportunity to hang out in the bars with with, with a few um, uh, fellow entrepreneurs and so on. So it's it's funny how we don't take time to connect with um, with 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 people of of like minds always because we're so busy um, you know doing our own uh, day jobs and. Um, taking care of family and all those normal things. So, so there was a great opportunity, and, and remains a great opportunity to to, to connect with um, with fellow entrepreneurs. Um, and uh, looking forward to doing more of it, particularly when we get through these um, restricted travel times and are able to um, you know to to, to to meet up. And uh, um, I'm certainly uh, really gasping for a glass of Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Day, CEO of Keyword Studio. I think it's only fair to leave it there. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening and watching Architects of Business, made in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Thanks to the whole team here at Joe and of course to our entrepreneur today, Andrew Day. If you haven't already done so, click subscribe to get brand new shows directly into your feed. The Architects of Business with EY Entrepreneur of the Year telling the inspirational stories behind Ireland's most successful entrepreneurs.